Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of work, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, you are absolutely in the right place. Let's see what the buzz on the street is. I have a quote here from a gentleman named Eugene Kaspersky. If you haven't heard from him or of him, Jenny Valentinovich Kaspersky, born in October 1965, a Russian cybersecurity expert and the CEO of Kaspersky Lab, an IT security company with 4,000 employees. Let me read the buzz quote, and this will set us up really well. Okay, it's just the way it is. The human being is a lazy creature. If it's possible not to do something, we don't do it. However, paradoxically, this is a good thing because laziness is the engine of progress. What? How so? Well, if a job's considered too hard or long-winded or complex for humans to do, certain lazy but conscientious humans, and he's calling them homo lazians instead of homo sapiens, give the job to a machine. So welcome to our second episode of our brand new series, The Future of Work with Game Changers. And today we're going to be talking about new work in a super human future. Are you equipped? Let me give you a little more information and then I'll introduce my two esteemed panelists. So we often find ourselves overwhelmed but inspired by the speed of change and technological innovations that are shaping, enhancing, improving our daily lives. Come on, think about it. Five years ago, 10 years ago, did you have all of the devices? Did you have a smart home, maybe a smart refrigerator, maybe a smart seatbelt in your car, maybe Alexa telling you, playing your music, doing whatever it is? Okay, you didn't. Let's, Let's get honest with this. These changes pose significant challenges to how we live, but also how we work. Yes, this is the future of work. How do we define and shape new strategies for new work? And we're going to call it new work with a capital N and a capital W. Are we ready to accept a superhuman future? And I use that as two words, not superhuman, superhuman. We'll talk about that. And faced with the ongoing development and increasing influence of artificial intelligence, AI in the workplace, How do we develop and improve human intelligence? So many questions, and we're going to get the answers today. My special panelists will share their insights. So let me tell you who's on the show. First up, we're welcoming back somebody who has been gone from Game Changers way too long. It's Martin Wisofsky. He is the chief designer and futurist for the Chief Innovation Office and Strategy Group at SAP. We'll hear from him in a minute. And joining him, of course, is Michelle Serrier. Michelle is the former sponsor of our series called Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. He left SAP a few years ago to start his own consultancy called InnoLifters, and we'll find out a little more about that. So, Martin Wisoski, welcome to Game Changers. And Martin has sent me a quote from somebody named Dr. David Silver. I didn't know who he was. He leads the Reinforcement Learning Research Group at a company called DeepMind, and he's a lead researcher on AlphaGo. That's all I'm going to say. Look him up. Um, Yeah, very interesting guy. Here's the quote. We've removed the constraint of human knowledge. Martin Wisoski, welcome to Game Changers. How have you been, Martin? 
I've been, I've been so good. So many things have happened since last time. Obviously, the future is exponential, so it's bound to be like that. And I'm happy to be back. Thank you very much. We've got to get you back on more Game Changer shows. When I saw your name pop up, I said, wait a minute, been way too long. So, Martin, talk to me about this quote from David Silver. Why did you pick it? We're talking about new work, AI, workplace changes, being superhuman, looking at AI, which is coming at us in our faces all the time, but redeveloping or further enhancing human intelligence. So many things to talk about. How do you relate this quote to our topic? Well, I think our human knowledge is constrained. Uh, Simple as that. We have cultures. We have DNA. um, We have the misunderstanding of how change is actually happening and all the parameters around it. And that's that's very fair because we are focusing on being human, trying to go to work and uh, make a living. And that's okay. And the quote comes from when AlphaGo was crafted to beat a human on this, in this beautiful, almost poetic game. There are only vast patterns. You cannot calculate your way to a win there. You can only follow this emergent pattern of, of gaming uh, that appears in AlphaGo. Now, the players in AlphaGo were so overwhelmed about how the computer played. They said, we've never seen moves like that. And when you see this afterwards, you, you, you realize, yeah, of course, because no human had played like that. Because this machine doesn't have the constraint of human knowledge. It makes things up as it goes, and it learns faster than us. It is, in that sense, superhuman and still beautiful. And one of the players said, actually, the, the player that was beaten in the end, he said, this is beautiful. This is like a dance. This is how he expressed it. He, he was lyrical about how a machine can, can, you know, free itself from the human, human knowledge. And I need that quote as a very positive and beautiful and poetic thing. I, Martin, I am so uh, intrigued with your poetry when you say beautiful. <laughs> we don't normally hear that when we're talking about technology. We're talking about AI. People are scared of their jobs, scared of being overtaken by this new techno big brother, big sister, big mommy and daddy. What is it going to do to my life? And here you're calling it beautiful. But Martin, I want to read a little bit from the definition of AlphaGo. May I do that to level set for our listeners? Okay. Sure, that would be good. Okay. In October 2015, AlphaGo, and I'll spell it, capital A-L-P-H-A, capital G-O, one word, became the first computer Go program to beat a human professional Go player without handicaps on a full-size 19 by 19 board, etc., etc. It's a computer program that plays the board game Go. It was developed by Alphabet Inc.'s Google DeepMind in London. Anybody wants to know more, I suggest you just put in AlphaGo, one word, A-L-P-H-A-G-O, and it will come up on Wikipedia, and you can read about it to your heart's delight. So, Martin, thank you for that introduction. But, Martin, do you find that when you use these lovely words you've just used that people stare at you and say, seriously, Martin, you're talking about technology being beautiful? What do people say to you? Yeah, it's a normal conversation and very good one to have. They say, well, technology is not beautiful. Technology is cold, Mm -hmm. uh, razor sharp and logical. But what I'm seeing is that with the help of technology, we are enabled to do absolutely amazing stuff. And this is what I mean. 
by saying we do superhuman stuff. We, we do things we never were able to do before. Um, and maybe uh, at last we are free to apply the full potential of the HI, which is the human ingenuity, of course, um, on the machine intelligence. When the machine intelligence brings us to a state where we can find our way with any kind of maps in your hand, when we can calculate whatever revenues you will have in the next year, uh, hopefully getting pretty well beyond the human pattern recognition, we can now focus on being creative, curious, spend time with each other, and, you know, just being human, being argumental, ambiguous, and all these things that makes us us. And that's beautiful. Human ingenuity is beautiful, and it builds on this machine intelligence. Thank you very much. Um, we're going to talk about that a lot more. Thank you so much. And now I'm pleased to welcome our second panelist, one of the sponsors of this series, Michelle Serrier at InnoLifters. I just love saying your name with a French accent, Michelle. And Michelle has sent us a quote from Noam or Noam Chomsky, C-H-O-M-S-K-Y. Avram Noam Chomsky, born December 7, 1928, is an American linguist, cognitive scientist, historian, social critic, and political activist. I wonder when they write, when they write about us, um, Michelle and, and Martin, how many things are going to squeeze into one sentence in our bio if they had to put it on Wikipedia. Uh, interesting, Chomsky is also a founder of the field of cognitive science. He has written over 100 books on topics as vast ranging as linguistics, war, politics, and mass media. He is one of the most cited scholars in history. Wow. Here's the quote Michelle has selected. Quote, it may be beyond the limits of human intelligence to understand how human intelligence works. Michelle, that's a heck of a quote. How have you been? I'm, I'm being very fine, very busy, and, uh, but uh, enjoying myself in, uh, in very interesting projects. Great. Talk to me about this quote. How did you find this? It's so perfect for our topic today. Go ahead. Actually, before I do that, if, I, if you're low, I, I would refer to what Martin just said. Because actually, yes. um, we were saying beautiful and technology and so on. If you take a French writer called Victor Hugo, he actually uh, wrote books about um, uh, we're going to go to the moon and so on, which at the time were things people were not even dreaming of or they were just dreaming of it. And thanks to technology, actually, we went there. And now, thanks to the upcoming technologies, we're able to to dream even bigger, and that's what makes it beautiful, I think, to a, to a, to a certain level. But anyway, so coming like back it. to my... I like uh, it. That's great. Go ahead. Now talk about the quote. Thank you. And, and coming back to my quote, it was actually that uh, there, there are many discussions that are going around the fact that uh, we're going to, uh, we will have this, uh, as you said, we're, we're all afraid of uh, uh, big daddy and big mama and uh, big data mm -hmm. and... Uh, um, being controlled and not in control anymore. And, and actually, um, I found that, uh, that quote very interesting because I'm, I'm pretty sure that actually they we're never going to be able to, um, to replicate the, uh, the human brain. We're going to be able to uh, pick parts of it and, and very for very special topics and then be able to replicate this and do it better than our brain does it but it will be an, an addendum to what we do and not replacing it. And, uh, and, and so for me, it's a, it's a quote which is full of hope because it's basically saying that uh, we're not in control of everything and that's, uh, that's actually part of the fun. 
Very interesting. There, there are so many different philosophical takes on this, Michelle. Uh, I think I mentioned you, you replicated what I said, Big Mama, Big Daddy, I like that. The idea that technology is taking over our lives and is it creating pockets of, I'll, I'll say, new intelligence and new power for the people who understand it, the people who create it, the people who embrace it, the people who benefit from it, whether it's monetarily, whether it's in terms of political, social, cultural, uh, any kind of power. I would like to just go around the table with you and Martin for a second and see what your thoughts are and whether this is dividing society into those who grasp and embrace and want it versus those who stay in the corner and say, nah, I don't need that so much. Martin, any thoughts on that? Yes, sure. I think we're always facing these things. Um, every technological, major technological shift, like we, to pick one of the big ones, fire and the wheel and the steam machine, uh, obviously is looked upon with skepticism. That's good. As long as it is a sound skepticism, the kind of mm-hmm. skepticism we use in science, can we review this? Can we discuss it? What would it mean? And this is where we should bring in... Uh, three sort of positions. One is the dystopian one. Let's say, okay, things can go really badly. Fine, let's articulate it. I think Hollywood is doing that pretty well for us. So I don't think we should focus on that more because we have enough of that. The second, obviously, is the utopia, the perfect world. What would happen if this technology would serve us in, in, in a way that Michelle just described, making us better? In between, we will have sort of a delta, right? Something between utopia and dystopia. I call that the dutopia, if you wish. Basically, mm-hmm. things we need to do to reach the utopia. That's your engineering, design, economical, sociopolitical brief. Let's address that. Now you just describe your work to reach the utopia. And, it, and we need to invite everybody to that discussion. But first, we need to articulate them really well so we know what we are discussing rather than fumbling around and guessing and having uh, ungrounded opinions. Thank you. Very interesting position. Thank you, Martin. Michelle, love to get your thoughts on this. Agree or disagree? I, I, I agree. I mean, I, if I look back at history and like Martin just uh, just did, if you, there were always people that were willing to um, to put the things they had at stake to uh, to go for something bigger, for to to dream bigger and so on. Even if you take the Pilgrim Fathers that actually left the continent where I live to uh, to go to the one where you live. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those people, they, they, this is also uh, innovation. It's, it's daring, going somewhere new, not being able to, knowing, well knowing that you're not in control of everything, that uh, things are going to happen that you cannot control and that you need to be adaptive, which is also one of the big words um, currently, um, and, and that you will need to adapt to a world you don't know. And by doing so, you will, you will grow. And this can be with technology or with uh, with other stuff. So I I think it's part of human history, and uh, and I, I think what is different today is that actually it has never been so simple for everyone to uh, to um, to own technology and to be innovative on its own. That has been that's to me a major change today. It has it has never been so so easy for everyone to become Einstein. Thank you very much. 
Very, very good point there at the end. Thank you, gentlemen. You know what? I want to just go around the table briefly and ask the two of you, where are you today? I know we have called you because you're not here in North America with me. And where are you? And what do you love to drink? And, and Martin, let me start with you. I know that I'm, I'm looking at your bio here. You say Martin has been loving and living design and innovation his whole career. He's now on the mission to map, build, and inspire a future we want to live in. Very, very interesting in a bio, and I'm happy to see that. Martin, where are you right now? And you can do a shout-out to our, our friend Upin, who is somewhere in the building with you, I know. And what do you love to drink that that fuels you, Martin, that makes you want to think about this and study it and share your insights? Talk to me. Ah, okay. So I, I'm right now in Sao Paulo, uh, very sunny, very hot, very humid, which is wonderful. Uh, all that makes <laughs> you awake, at least uh, it works for me. And, you know, the, the, the common beverage that fuels the human ingenuity uh, is coffee. But I am drinking right now Brazilian top-class coffee, and I wouldn't give it up for anything else to drink right now. It really fuels me up, so I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling alert. I'm glad, I'm glad I can tell from your voice. Thank you very much. And Michelle Herrier, where are you today? I know you're a globetrotter. Where, where are you sitting right now, and what are you drinking? Actually, currently, I'm not drinking anything, but I'll, um, so I'm sitting in, at home in uh, beautiful Heidelberg, which is not far away from, uh, from where SAP sits, but, uh, um, and I'm sitting next to the Necker, where sometimes we sit in the Necker because the Necker decides to visit us, but um, the Necker being the river which is passing by Heidelberg and a few other cities before it goes into the Rhine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and what I would love actually to drink is, a, is an aperitif, which there is in, in French, which I don't know how to translate actually in English, which is called Pousse Rapière. Pousse is push is actually pushing something, and rapier is uh, the sword that um, the four musketeers were using. So I don't know how you call this in Eng- is it is it a sword or is it uh, is there another word for that in English? I, I don't I'm know. looking. It's the pousse rapier or rapier, and it's on uh, cocktail recipe is on the spirit cocktail, the barmandrinks.com. <laughs> BonjourParis.com. Uh, let's see. It's a rapier's thrust, the signature aperitif of Gascony. It's an orange-flavored Armagnac and sparkly wine cocktail that will enter your digestive tract so smoothly you won't know how you wound up on the floor crying copious <laughs> tears of joy. <laughs> That's pushing it. That's pushing it. We wow. have to drink a few of those to, to land on the ground. But uh, yes, I'm, okay. I'm glad you're not drinking it while you're on the air with us. I don't think there is any kind. I don't see anything um, uh, in English to. Yeah, the name Pousse Rapier is divide, derived from the rapier, the long light sword brought back to France from the wars in Italy by the returning Montluc and his Gascon captain. Oh, very, exactly. very. The recipe is a closely guarded secret. Ooh, we're not going to even give it away here on Game Changers. And there's a special glass? Seriously, do you Absolutely. have a special glass? Yeah, because really? it's a glass where you have basically the swore. It's a kind of a, um, like a champagne glass, so those, uh, those flutes, those, uh, those long glasses. And then basically you have the sword, which is uh, drawn on the side, and so that you know mm-hmm. until which level you, you put alcohol, and then you fill it up with champagne. 
I'm, I'm reading it from, um, let's see, this website is gourmantique.com, and you said word for word exactly what they're saying here. I was going to read it. Thank you, Michelle. Much rather hear it coming from you. Well, we've got some interesting drinks here. I can't compete, but as the two of you may remember, they do not let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days because Tuesday I do two shows one hour apart. You're my second show already this morning. So all I'm allowed to have, Martin, and Michelle remembers this well because we've spoken more recently, all they let me have is water. But it's fine. It's in a cool, clear mug I brought with me when I moved from New York to North Carolina six months ago, and I have a green straw because we are sort of still have a green landscape here in North Carolina. However, they told me when I moved here that if I don't like the weather, wait either 20 minutes or 48 hours and it will change. So three and a half weeks ago, we had eight inches of snow, which piled up to 14 inches when I shoveled it. 48 hours later, we had 72 degrees and it all melted. Silly me. Then we had in the 30s the other day. Now we're in the 50s. It's raining and we had a nor'easter 48 hours ago. So I just give up trying to guess the weather here. It's just all over the map. So I'm drinking my water, and I'm happy, very happy to be speaking with two very smart gentlemen whose topic today is here on the Future of Work with Game Changers Radio, New Work in a Superhuman Future, Are You Equipped? We're going to take a quick break, wet our whistle, as the American expression goes, take a sip of something, Michelle, and uh, you got to drink something, <laughs> and we're going to come back. Michelle is in Heidelberg, Martin Wazowski is in Sao Paulo, Brazil. We have a very global panel today. We're going to continue our conversation. You're going to find it interesting on many levels. We're going to have some definitions with Martin and Michelle. And we're going to get a little more into the philosophy of what in the world is happening to our world and how does this implicate the future of work? What does it mean when you go to work? Where and how and when and for whom and why? Maybe we need to get to the why. Why will we be working? I plan to always be hosting Game Changers Radio, so that question is answered for me. It's the dream job of a lifetime for me. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. We'll be right back. Aaron out. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. The pace and dimensions of digitalization are moving faster than ever, and the future of companies will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to pressures to become thought leaders. The definition of future success is being shaped by factors as diverse as insights from employment and organizational trends, the new global pool of distributed skilled talent, resource scarcity, and business networks and supply chains. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of work and the future of change. The Future of Work is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Work with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of work with Game Changers. 
Yes, indeed. The future of work is here. You may wonder why, where, how, when, and for whom you're going to be working tomorrow or the day after. Well, we'll try to help you figure that out a little bit. Our topic today is new work in a superhuman future. Are you equipped with my two very smart panelists, Martin Wizowski? I'll spell that for you if you want to look him up. W-E-Z-O-W-S-K-I and Michelle Serrier, S-E-R-I-E. Go look them up and find out more about them. Somebody's coughing and I hope you're okay. Somebody is coughing. Okay, so we're going to start our roundtable with some notes here that Martin sent me. And Martin, let me read a little and then I'll ask you to tell us more. You say, Hugh Machine, H-U-M-A-C-H-I-N-E, is a symbiosis between human ingenuity, H-I, and machine intelligence. Machines are automating the boring, the mundane, and the repetitive. Go ahead, Martin, tell us what does this have to do with our topic today of new work, please? Awesome. Yes, uh, I think it has everything to do with it, but obviously that's my, my private opinion. Well, I think like this, uh, we always talk about human versus the machine, right? Uh, yes. Machines will take over the world, and humans already took over the world from the, all other animals, and so on. It's always versus. I don't like that, because nature has shown us that everything that lives in a symbiosis thrives better. It's, it's like the saying goes, um, all of us are smarter than any one of us. And I love that because it proposes so many uh, open, open questions and openness. Now, the human-machine is a symbiosis between human ingenuity and machine intelligence. Machine intelligence is good at some things. Uh, it will be good at many or maybe all things in the end, if you wish. Um, and humans are good at other things. Now, if you combine these two, you get to something bigger, something you couldn't expect. I sometimes even say that, you know, maybe we haven't been human at all. Maybe we will become human at last because technology allows us, allows us to be ambivalent and, you know, drive our ambiguity forward, being creative and actually ridiculously curious about the future. Just looking around the corner, as soon as we settle, as soon as we have every number in order, we look for something new. Now we will be able to. So I think the human machine will keep us in sort of a flow, a flow state that is known to artists, to sportsmen. But I think we can have a flow in business and in life where we can automate the simple, the boring, the subhuman, repetitive, and, you know, the understimulating, if you wish, controlling management, administration, all these things, because they are friction. They are friction. They are not flow. But then, when we move along with better human output, we will reach another friction, and that's complexity. It's too hard. It's superhuman, impossible and overwhelming, and the patterns doesn't, you know, reveal themselves to us. Well, again, the machine can help us and show causalities and correlations we never thought of. We reduce that friction. What happens? We are still in the flow. Now we can be human and use our curiosity the poetry, the artistry, the playfulness Mm -hmm. in the business for even higher output. So this is how I see the human uh, okay, I want to I want to bring in Michelle on this, but then we'll go back to the question of if people are freed up to do all of those, what about the distribution of wealth? And I know that's another integral part of that philosophical conversation, and it has been going on for lots of time, not just in the era of AI. But let me move to Michelle Serre. Michelle, what are your thoughts on what Martin just shared with us, please? Uh, I was just listening to it and saying, where, where can I sign up? 
Okay, I'm, I'm going to keep working, guys, because I need to talk to people like you. So I'll be hosting radio, and you can go off, write poetry, but come on the radio with me and tell me what you wrote. Deal? Is that a deal, Michelle? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but seriously, I, I was thinking that actually maybe maybe then it's like a bit closing the loops that we started when the when the somehow the human discovered like a uh, fire and 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 that is that with the fire it was able to uh, cook the meat and so on um and that at the beginning they had a lot of time to do different things um and that over time we actually uh, specialized ourselves and started just to do a boring task because all of us or most of us are actually working on tasks which I, I'm, I'm going to say probably 50% of what I do is, is probably not something I want to do. It's just I have to make sure it happens so that I have the other 50% to, um, to enjoy myself, which doesn't mean hobby, but basically uh, really doing what I want. And if we can take this away by having uh, more of the, maybe like the cooking robots and so on, if you don't like cooking, but you like actually good food, then it's good to have a robot at home, and they exist already today, that is actually able to do a good sauce béarnaise or whatever for you, um, be, because opening a can is not always fun, or putting something in the nuke is not fun every day. And, uh, um, and, but where, where I, and, and this is what you were alluding to, uh, um, Bonnie, it's actually that if I now take one of the topics which I love, which is actually design thinking, Design thinking is based on the trinity, desirability, viability, and feasibility. So we, we, the desirability is obviously there for everyone. The feasibility, I think, is going to, to, to be more, more and more there, where I think we still have the biggest um, stones in front of us that we need to remove is really on the viability of the thing. How do we make sure that actually this financially flies for everyone? But it will be disruptive to the world we know. But disruptive is uh, is not always bad. And uh, yeah, as I said, I, I would sign up uh, right away and uh, and push towards it. Very interesting, Martin. Any comments on what Michelle just added before we move on? Yes, absolutely. Um, we, we well distribution. I think. Something, a certain human value that we all have is imagination. We are mm-hmm. born with it. We are born creative. It's our DNA. We just happen to kill it in school, unfortunately. Absolutely. Um, I think, yeah, and it, this imagination is a power. It's a superpower. Uh, apparently, only humans have it, as, as we know of today. With the power of imagination comes the power of shaping. And now... If we see the three new billion coming online the next five years, they will come from Africa and Asia mostly. They will be mm-hmm. empowered not only with that imagination, but also with the digital tools to make them self, to self-actualize, to start a small business to move forward. I think they will take that power, not only their own power of imagination, but the value from the markets where we play and become relevant in these markets because now they can. That, that's how I see it. Very interesting. How, Martin, how do you tell people that they may not need to work? We've had that. We call it the work ethic. I don't know if that's a cultural phrase all over the world, but it certainly is here. The Puritan ethic, the Protestant ethic, the work ethic. You know, oh, she has a great work ethic. Oh, he has a great work. Oh, he shows up and he's a self-starter and he listens to everything he's told. <laughs> and he does a good job. What do we do if we, if, if we embrace 
the technology that will replace the boring, the repetitive, that a lot of people need to fill in their day. They're not necessarily poets, artists, and great cooks and able to come up with a great sauce bernaise, as Michelle said more beautifully than I ever could. What? How do we tell people that it will be different? Let's say in, we'll, we'll do the predictions at the end, in 25, 50, 100 years. How do we tell them, you won't need to work, we'll take care of you, you'll have a good life, and you can just sing and dance and write poetry and paint. What, what do we tell them, Martin? <laughs> Wonderful formulation there. Sing and dance and write poetry. I think it will be a large part of our lives, and it already is. I think we need to redefine what work is. Uh, yes. Because if we compare to the work we have today, of course that will fail. That work will sort of disappear. New work will uh, emerge. And I have my own definition. I say that we work will be to surface and foster and optimize uh, our individual gifts, your and mine gifts. What, what am I gifted with? Uh, the HR department usually call it skill sets, right? Mm-hmm. And these gifts are, are, are skills you can give away to an idea, to a pursuit, to, to a purpose. So you can create sort of a higher value in, in, in your feelings, wisdom, and your self-actualization for yourself and the communities around us. So that kind of gift sharing will emerge. Now, if you look how the world is changing, technology changes everything, 2% of, say, North, Northern Europe population works with agriculture. Just 100 years ago, there was 40%. And if you ask a farmer back then, hey, uh, most of your colleagues will not be, 98% of them will be gone. Okay. Um, what will they do 100 years from now? They would have no idea. Mm-hmm. Yet, we are busy as hell. We work all the time. So something has emerged. The human ingenuity put us into work again. We imagine new stuff. The power of shaping, right? Power of imagination. So I'm not afraid <laughs> at all. I'm just, I just can't wait what we will do with all this freedom to shape new futures, to keep us busy and stimulated. I just think it will be on a totally different value emotional value, relationship building that we will have. And we will discover new worlds, new technologies to take us there. That will keep us busy in a much more positive way. Okay, I like the optimism. I like the dreaming there in a positive way. I, I just think it's going to take centuries before we, we retrain the human habits. We've used that word before in, in how we're going to spend our time. I like the idea. I really like the idea. Michelle, anything you want to uh, add or counter to what Martin just shared before I move on? No, I, I think I'm not sure it will take uh, hundreds of years, but as, uh, as Martin was alluding to it, um, we, we are all born with an imagination and it gets killed. I mean, we, we have it at, nine, at night when we have dreams or nightmares, for that matter. But uh, um, the rest of the time, we're, we're asked to, uh, to park it somewhere. Um, and because when we go to school and, and, and then until you end university, that's basically systematically killed. And, uh, and, and that's what we need to change so that we, we're growing up and humans that are going to be um, really adaptives that are going to, uh, to be um, willing to be um, um, online, which doesn't mean uh, mobile geographically and so on. So they, they, we need, it's probably going to take 50 years because what the, the way to modify, the, at least in France and Germany, I know there are projects currently looking at how you can disrupt the school, and that's going to take another 25 to 30 years, which means yes. we will see the results in 40 to 50. Yep. Um, but this is what we uh, what we need to do, and afterwards it's really going to be interesting, 
it would be really interesting to um, if you take even a, a Neymar, um, the the soccer player. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. he was lucky enough that actually his gift, using uh, Martin's word, was actually discovered. Every one of us probably has one or two of those gifts. The thing is, we then we don't know them, and they were not they were just not discovered. But if you were able to um, to discover them for every human, imagine what we were able to, we would be able to produce as a as as a human breed. It's it's simply amazing. Simply amazing is a good way to put it. Michelle, I'm looking at your notes here. So many interesting topics. Uh, I'm going to give you a choice. I don't usually do that, but would you like to talk about the augmented me implying the R evolution, and that's R dash evolution rather, or do you want to talk about we Q is better than IQ? They're both interesting to me. What would you prefer? I would rather go with the we Q is better than the IQ because the other one we already discussed a bit was the education, but they go together anyway. So, Okay, but, uh, talk to yeah. me. Go ahead. I'm just going to so let you run with this one. Go ahead. There is a there is a, actually a movement and a book that was written in Germany and at, as far as I know is not existing in English. The title is in is in English is actually IQ is better than IQ, and IQ is not meant as a, um, intelligence quotient, but the fact that I as a, me as a person currently ev everything we live in maybe except for the family and even that is uh, is actually working in single silos so to say. We are, we are trying to optimize ourselves without leveraging what's around us. And the, uh, um, if we want to be successful in the future, and this is what I see in all the customers where I'm, where I'm discussing digital transformation, technology is a mean to it, but you really need to make sure that people understand that uh, they need to collaborate and that by collaborating, by having the silos fading away and going towards weak you, then they're going to be able to, to do many more things and achieve many more things. And this is true for the families. This is true for uh, uh, soccer clubs. This is true for a company. Um, but this is, if you don't, if you're not able to go from this IQ to this WQ, then I believe that the organization or the company in which you work is probably going to be doomed to fail. Very interesting. Martin Wisowski, love to get your thoughts on this very provocative topic. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I, I, I like it to start with. Uh, but I think there are other cues we should add. And then, then coming back to this human ingenuity, I mean, emotional uh, cues mm -hmm. uh, or adaptability quotient. Yeah. Yeah. How, how, how fast do you adapt? Isn't that a measure? Because IQ, as Joe mentioned, that we can almost hand over to machines now. I mean, we are beaten there. <laughs> That's okay. I would love to be beaten in the pure logics of things. Mr. Spock, I want to be, you know, I want to be the captain of that ship and find new strategies, new purposes, curiously go and feel about it. So if you look at the data, that becomes information because it's well-designed. Information becomes knowledge that is then again, well-designed information. So knowledge. What happens when we share knowledge? When we do uh, have an exchange of personal views on that, well, we build relationships. In the end, we become wiser. We carry these informations, these knowledges across each other. This is our adaptability quotient. This is the, maybe the weak you that Michelle tries to, tries to explain so, so well. And when we share emotions, how do we feel about it? Maybe we would have much clearer discussions about 
for example, socio-political systems around us, instead mm. of being so rigid and conservative, saying, oh, let's go this way, black and white. Rather, we could rely beyond our own bias on the technology to build a platform for discussion so we can bring in the human opinion about it, the human emotion, the human relationship. This is what I'm looking for. So emotional quotient, adaptability quotient. And this is also what will, uh, makes us survive in business. Thank you, Martin. And I looked up week. There is a WeQ Foundation. Michelle, did you know about that? I think you do. Yeah. It says from I to We networked thinking and acting. And I'm looking at a picture on their website: weq dot foundation and then slash en slash. And that's their website. So it's not a not a dot com or, or an org. Uh, WeQ Foundation was initiated by a group of like-minded figures from the economic and scientific background, as well as from civil society. The paradigm shift from I to we needs a platform for the collaborative development of initiatives, networks, and projects. Taken as a whole, WeQ is about a profound and comprehensive cultural change aimed at promoting and actively shaping the WeQ approach in all areas of life. And uh, there's a council. They have a, an interesting council here where there are seven people on the council. And, uh, well, there's one, two, three, uh, two, two of the seven are women. I found that very interesting, but they gotta get got to get more more gals on the panel. We'll have to talk about that another time. Um, <laughs> so who am I at? M- Michelle, you started this. Do you want to make any comments further about WeQ before we, we try to squeeze in two more topics here? No, no, no. I'm just fine. We can move to the, we can move to the next one. I mean, to okay. me, it's really... Uh, it's it's really uh, something which is fundamental to uh, everything I do, be it in uh, at the family level or really in the companies I work with. Thank you very much, Martin. I'm looking at your notes here, and let's talk about space. I think you and I discussed this when you were on two or three years ago on another Game Changers show. I think we discussed space. You say industrialization of space is happening in front of us. We think it's science fiction. Technology is exponential, but we think it's impossible. It's so far away, but it's right there in front of us. We need to connect the dots. How are we, what's the framework for this concept of industrialization of space? Martin, would you take me through this, please? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I love that. You know, everybody wants to go to space, I hope. Uh, maybe you not everybody, but it's an interesting topic because I, I met some entrepreneurs in uh, space exploration business, and but Remember, I'm talking about startups in space exploration. For example, harvesting the, uh, the metals, the minerals that are out there. This is not NASA or big governments coming together. This is people that believe in that. It's happening right now. They can't do it because the liberation of tools is there, democratization of technology. And we have even Swiss bankers investing in Mars One mission. We have uh, Audi, for example, that is 3D printing a, a moon rover. Um, we have Japanese government that invest billions in extraterrestrial construction machines. And you're thinking, wait a second, all of that sounds like science fiction. But it's happening today. I'm not making this up. You can look mm-hmm. it up. Now, there's, there's a fact going that, you know, between science fiction uh, and science fact, there's science and very, very hard work. And I think humans are very good at that. So, again, this utopia and this topic. What is your work list? Where are you going to space? Will you have 7-Elevens work and vacation and good time in space? I think so. Well, then just what is the delta? What, what hinders you? And I think the things that hinder us is it's long-termism. Basically, you could say that short-termism is a disease. We need to fight that. 
um, you are very good in building strategies and, and go to a game plan, then validate and then scale. But where did you come from? What is your strategic point of view? Will you go to space? What are the future narratives and the explorations that you actually articulate, wrote down as your vision? And by the way, if you have these, what facts, what science, what scientific outlooks do you build them on? What is the future fabric that you weave on, if you wish? How do you observe the world? And many people actually do not. Many companies do not. They, um, they think the future is happening to them, and they maybe don't like it, and I disagree. They are the creators, the designers of the possible future, of the desirable futures. This is where you, we need to get to work and build these future narratives. And I think exploration or industrialization of space is one of these narratives we need to explore and need to, need to point out and bring the technologies to, so it happens. Thank you very much. Want to comment on the industrialization of space, or should we move on to something else? What do you think? No, no. I, I, I actually believe it's something. I mean, it's something which is really interesting to me, and to answer Martin's question, um, that's another one I would sign up on. If I could, uh, if I could use SpaceX or whatever to uh, to go up there, I would do it right away. I'm not sure I would sign up for Mars because that's a one-way ticket, and I'm I'm not ready to leave the source Bernays, so to say, behind <laughs> me. Um, mm. So that's not happening yet, but the uh, but the rest, yeah. I mean, I I uh, I, I really truly believe in it, and for me, that's uh, like the Pilgrim Fathers uh, 600 years ago. It's uh, this is the, the new the new world to go for, and uh, and 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 thanks to the, commoditization, uh, the democratization of technology, now everyone can actually play an active role, and then make sure that you're not just. Uh, um, a standing figure in the movie that is told where to stand, but someone mm-hmm. that is uh, um, going at its own pace and driving its own uh, its own way towards where, wherever he wants to go. Thank you, Michelle. Take a sip of something. I'm worried about you. Martin, I want to just cover one item quickly before we go to our predictions round in about four minutes. You you talk about, well, this topic, this show is the future of work with Game Changers. And you told me in your notes that there are four things that will drive the future of work. I'm just going to read them briefly and ask you to give us just a little bit of flavor of what each of them is. Number one is the self-driving enterprise. That sounds interesting. Number two is self-driving ecosystems. Number three is the augmented human. And number four is the most popular word in the corporate speak today, I think, is purpose. So, Martin, can you can you just elaborate on each of those for me? Oh, yeah, I would love to. I think, uh, again, we can automate so much of what we could call, drastically, it could call subhuman work, not worthy human ingenuity. Um, All sorts of accounting, controlling, management, all these things that are repetitive, and and, and we know the outcomes. Let's put machines to work for us. I even uh, could predict that we will not code software or applications as we do today. They will be emergent. They will assemble Mm. themselves in front of us as we go along. I think we will have whole suites of functions that you can subscribe to as you subscribe to a Spotify or an iTunes account to run your company. And that's a self-running enterprise. Now, if that's true, what happens if you want to collaborate? Mm-hmm. I, I'm a huge believer in the WeQ. Um, the self-organizing business systems is uh, somewhat that brings things together without human intervention and, again, bias. 
for example, if you have, I don't know, a refugee crisis, you have France, U.S., and Red Cross trying to administrate and make political uh, sense out of helping these folks out there, they're wasting maybe 20 to 40% of their resources on just, just bureaucracy. How about putting that on blockchain and let it self-organize? Let it be true and always trusted. Okay, so if these two systems work together, let's focus on the human ingenuity. And we're coming back to the augmented mean, the superhuman, the amplification of whatever gifts you already had to, to superhumanity, to self-actualization. Now you can focus on being the optimal you in every situation with that technology. And mm-hmm. again, uh, it sounds like science fiction, but you look at your Google Maps or any technology you wear or, or have to make you a little bit better. That's fantastic. Okay. So now we have the self-running company in ecosystems. Mm-hmm. You are superhuman. What do you do? And this is how we started the show. I think we will look curiously for new purposes. I mean, take, take a company like Patagonia who says, look, this planet is beautiful. You should see more of it. We will repair your clothes to discover this planet, sports clothes, because it's a radical act, not because it's a business service, Right. We are suing the president because he's stealing land and we are from res- uh, reserves and we are very outspoken about it. We're giving back the money from Black Friday because it's a very stupid idea. Let's give this money to eco, um, ecological uh, companies and organizations. Discover the planet. That's our purpose. We just happen to make clothes. What I hope for that there will be systems that put the purpose in your books, in your accounting, so you can make purpose quantifiable and qualifiable. And these four pillars, pillars I think, will drive sort of a new enterprise intelligence and human intelligence. Yeah. Thank you. You know what I was going to say? It's time for our predictions round, but I think you've just done a, a yeah, wonderful absolutely. job of predicting already so I'm uh, we have uh, four minutes left till the end of the show I'm going to ask Michelle to chime in on these very interesting four things that are driving the future of work we've got the word future in there Michelle so I think that qualifies for a prediction do you agree or disagree with with the elements that Martin shared and with how he defined them anything you want to add to that I think that that I agree with everything he has said I think the, the make or break in the sense is actually how do we make sure how do we get the, the currently the current governance that we have in place? Um, um, we need to disrupt that governance because they think in in an, in an ancient ancient model which is not actually um, future proof and which is going to slow us down to realize what uh, what Martin was just saying. To me, the 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 way. Most of the politicians are thinking the way governments are not, uh, governments are not working together and so on. is something that has to, um, has to fade away. And, 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 and this is going to be very complex because you have very uh, powerful people in place. And, mm-hmm. um, and power is a, is a drug. And when you get addicted to yep. it, then you do everything you can to stay where you are. Yep. And, um, and that that prevents us sometimes to uh, to make progress in the direction of what Martin was saying. Thank you. I have a question for each of you, a little bit of a surprise question. Martin, if you were to become the augmented Martin Wisowski in the next uh, four or five years, would you still be Martin Wisowski or would you take on a new augmented name? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Who would you be? I, I keep my Wisowski because... I would, I'm just curious how people will pronounce it in the future, so I'm keeping it. 
Oh, you're keeping it. Okay, Michelle Serrier, if you had the augmented you around 2020, would you still be you? What would be different? Would you would you have different hair? Would you wear would you wear a different hat? Would you have a different name? Who would the augmented you be? The augmented me would be someone that is really able to run a restaurant like I would like to do it, but I would not change uh-huh. my name because I I uh, love the accents and so on and it's already painful for the internet to live with it. Um <laughs> So I would keep that like it is, and uh, but I wouldn't change much, even though I'm not perfect. But that's okay. Oh, you're 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 both perfectly good to me. I was teasing. I thought maybe you would take on a name of a of a a, a character or an icon or an avatar or something. I would I would go. I've already got so many names. I don't know who I am anymore. Bonnie D. People here in my community just call me Bonnie D. I used to be called Bonnie G. My stage name was Bonnie G. I had a comedy act called Bonnie G. and Du Bois. Four male comedians who were performing with me. I used to be called Z just because right. I drive a Z. And my alternate ego, my <laughs> Alter Ego is AKA Radio Red. So I've already got, I don't know if they're augmented, but but there are other versions of me. So I was just teasing both of you. They're I want to thank human. both. Super, we are all going to be superhuman. I want to thank both of you for a very interesting conversation. Is Upin there next to you? Uh, Upin Barve, is he there? M- Martin? He's, I'm looking at him right now. He's sitting next well, to me here and he's pretending to work actually. No, no, no. He can't work during a show like this. Tell him that I appreciate uh, everything he did to help get this off. Michelle, now you know why we had such a a good opportunity for a good conversation, because you and Martin are so smart and so invested in this topic. I have just one minute to say thank you to both of you, and uh, I really appreciate all of the effort and the time, and I know you're in different time zones than I am, and I want to thank you for making yourselves available. We're looking forward to four more episodes of The Future of Work with Game Changers, and I have a feeling we're going to add a few more before the end of the year because this is a very very powerful topic that needs to be discussed so sending a big hug across the waters to martin wisowski at sap and michelle serrier formerly and i i always try to put in those accent ego michelle you know that i'm always copying yeah. and pasting because I, I can't figure it out on my laptop keyboard i'm always pasting your name michelle serrier formerly sap now interlifters shout out of course to aaron our our innovative and inventive and intrepid engineer at world talk radio i'm bonnie d graham thank you so much for listening i'll be back tomorrow morning 11 a.m. Eastern on the Business Channel right here with a new episode live. Of course it's live. 48 weeks a year we're live on Coffee Break with Game Changers. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Veet, veet before you get in the car. Michelle knows what that is. Quick, quick. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Au revoir. Everybody have a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Work with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham on Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.